0: Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode one hundred and three. 103, Today, I'm talking to Michael Carmody about the Australian ESIC gambling bans. Hey guys, this is Lectro. I hey guess I'm Guardian. This is Dabs. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Farah. Godzilla, This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to Truth? The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. CSGO podcast. The, the Truth CSGO podcast. The Truth CSGO podcast. Or are we doing sneaky, beaky like? Well, all the news right now is about the scandals in the CIS scene, which I so cunningly predicted last episode, like a goddamn oracle. But we are focusing today on the turpitudes of the Antipodes. Now, back in October 2020, seven Australian MDL players were handed bans by ESIC for betting offences. Things only got crazier when ESIC doled out a further 35 bans in January of this year. To help me make sense of it all, I spoke to Michael Carmody, also known as MJ Carr, who immediately became the de facto player advocate upon notice of the bands. Being fairly ignorant of the Aussie scene, I'd seen Michael pop up on my Twitter often, but I didn't know his background all too well. Uh, now that I do... Uh, I think although that he says he's still a few achievements away from being donned the Sir Scoots of Oceania, I'd say he's a statesman of the scene for sure. With a background in youth work, the self-described human-centric MJ Carr has never been in esports for the money. His businesses outside took care of that. Instead, since 2013 he's just enjoyed being a part of growing and nurturing the Australian scene, whether it meant getting cash sponsorships and gaming houses for Aussie teams, back when a keyboard a quarter was a salary de jour, sponsoring players from his own pocket or helping out with infrastructure and lands. A chance encounter on the CyberGamer forums saw Michael become involved with the player-owned org Legacy, where he scouted and signed various teams and players across League of Legends, StarCraft, Dota, and even Smite. Somewhere along the line, he got hooked on CS when Gomez introduced him to the delights of the Counter-Strike economy. And around this time, he broke an important regional seal by signing the notorious Animal Squad to Legacy and paying and organising for them to fly to the Face It 2015 Stage 3 Finals at Dreamhack Winter in Sweden. Let's see what he has to say about E6 gambling bands.
1: So in January, I was actually down in country visiting my dear mother after a rather extended lockdown season in Melbourne, Victoria. Uh, and I was... Actually, without any names or things, talking to someone about business structures and esports and the problems of giving away ownership and chatting. And then he said, oh, you might be interested to no, know. I've just got this press conference. It's going to go down at about six o'clock today. There's going to be a huge band wave. And I went, what? And I was um, leaked the upcoming press, con- press release. And I looked at the names and I went, oh, boy, uh, this is going to gut the scene. And initially, I looked at the names on the list and I went, something's wrong here. One, this is some of these people I would trust implicitly. I'd give them the keys to my car and the credit card to my bank account, and I know that they would honour the trust. So it seemed very odd that they were being done for betting offences. That was all my initial impressions. These people don't seem like the type of people who would be dirty cheaters. And this is a lot of names. Uh, And I also knew some of those people, this would hit them mentally. Their well-being would be affected. Like for a lot of kids, this was their dream and their hope. And if this was happened, there was going to be some very despairing people. And that was a risk and concern for me on that sort of front. What age range are we talking about here? Uh, Under 18 to just under 30. We have an under 18. That's a whole interesting uh, thing unto itself, but we'll leave that alone for now. So when this went live and it went live, I immediately DM'd a few of the people that were involved with it. I put out a tweet saying, I'm here to help, Uh, just talk. Uh, For me, it was a lot more about... The door's not closed. No one make any rash decisions. Now, I I don't know how extreme a rash decision, but just, hey, let's just get people in. And I got probably about 11 of the players into a group DM and said, look, let's just find out what's happening and work out what's going on. Initially, you guys, you have my support. I'm not here to do guilty or whatever. And and they're all proclaiming strongest of innocence, yada, yada, yada. because I'm on Twitter and have a reasonable following, one of the ESIC staff members took my DM and he and I got talking and like instantly, same day, uh, we get a concession from ESIC that the notices of charge that were sent out were not good enough. They didn't have any evidence, they didn't have any dates, they didn't have anything at all. It'd be like getting a speeding ticket, that had no time, date, location, or anything. Just, hey, you you spent, pay us money. And I had no evidence whatsoever. Uh, And I said, look, you can't do this. This this doesn't build confidence that ESIC is an integrity organization that you can trust. We need to do this properly. And I get the initial undertaking that, yes, we shall do this. And then began the exceedingly... (laughs) totally exceedingly long and extremely patience requiring delivery of that evidence. And it took months, like four months to get all of the players their evidence dumps. And, and it was a long journey and a lot of going and back and forth in ethic and a lot of tamping down player impatience and just trying to get to a point where we can do things. And it was, there were people who lost jobs in the esports industry. There were people who said, I just quit. I'm getting out. We went backwards and forwards. It's just, it was a whole extremely long, extremely mentally taxing journey because there was nothing I could grapple with. I couldn't go, you're wrong, kid. Here is the evidence. You're just going to have to admit you made a mistake. And I couldn't go, you're right, kid. You're completely innocent. This evidence doesn't stand up and we can get you free. I couldn't do either because I had nothing to deal with. And I'm just trying to get a reasonable outcome for everyone. And look, ESIC have admitted this themselves, so I'm, I'm comfortable enough saying this, but they are so woefully under-resourced, like horrendously under-resourced, that they, they shouldn't be doing things. If, if I was to be as blunt as I could be, ESIC should not be taking on any work that they cannot fully support the full process to the highest levels of integrity. They undermine the integrity of their organisation when they can't timely go through the process that they start. You understand where I'm coming from here? Mm, sure. So it, it it just undermined a lot of things. a lot of impatience, a lot of all the rest. But we got to a point where essentially everyone got their evidence emails. Uh, very look, if I was to characterise this in the simplest ways possible, very few actual errors. Uh, maybe only two or three that were just whoops you you guys your evidence is wrong here uh, there was a reinterpretation of the rules that got a third of them discretionary zero sentences sorry
0: to interrupt you but what does evidence of people's betting even entail or look like in this in this instance
1: Oh, I've got to be careful here because these documents are given in confidence to the players and sharing them with me is technically a breach of that. But there was a tacit understanding that I was helping the players. So I'm speaking to Esic. Esic knows I'm involved. They won't give me the evidence directly. Uh, they send the evidence directly to the players. The players then essentially forward it on to me. The first line of this letter is confidential. Uh, I. I'm acting as a player advocate. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not legal counsel. I have no legal standing. but I took on sort of an advocacy role in this uh, sort of way. And I was talking and helping Essex with, no, you've screwed up here. No, you've screwed up there. No, this needs to be redone. Um, The letters with a generalist of general sense, to answer your question, essentially a list of bets played and a schedule of team membership. Right. So
0: the justifications f- from their point of view was that you were on this team and you placed a bet on or against this team at the time of your membership. Is that correct?
1: There, if I was to give, make it even more general, uh, and I think there was some general class of bets. There was bet on own league. That is a breach of the integrity guidelines. If you bet on a league... That you are competing in, you are breaking Essex code. Okay. That wasn't betting on yourself. This was just you bet you were third on the ladder and you placed a game when fifth and tenth played each other on the ladder. Okay. And that is essentially because by being in the league, you have more insider information than the average show public. So that which league are we talking about here? Any league. OK, that, that, that's the concept. As as you can get any league. Where things got slightly interesting that people were not aware of is that a league is all of the titles within that league from top to bottom. So here is a coherent league. You start in ECA Open. You play. You promote. You are in Australia in MDL or ESCA Premier. You win ESCA Premier. You travel to ESL Pro League. You play against Australians and get dumped, right? That's all one league.
0: How is there a confusion about that for the Australian
1: players? Because ESCA Open players are weekend Warriors who just like to shoot heads once a week. It's their you know, pick up game of basketball down at the courts. Uh, but in terms of the way Essex sees it, it means you cannot, if you are playing in ECA Open, you cannot bet on heroic versus big in the ESL Pro League.
0: Uh, okay. I can see how people <laughs> might not be aware of that.
1: Yeah. So it was thinking, It was also complicated somewhat by the ECA general platform rules allowing that specifically, in contrast to Essex rules. So they specifically said in their rules you're allowed to bet on ESL Pro League? Games not your own. We say that it is illegal to bet on your own games, and we recommend that you don't bet on games within the same league.
0: Right. So you were just saying that the different types of bets that you weren't allowed to do were bets on your own, own, league? own league?
1: Yes, and I have seen evidence emails that had Astralis versus Big as you bet on this game and therefore this is a violation that evidence did arrive okay uh then there was bet on self to win and then there was bet on self a bet against self uh there was also aggravated versions of each of those where it was greater than 10 incidences of any of the former were there many people who had that as a charge you can look at the original ESSIC announcement and they do outline the classes and give you the terms and you can sort of backdate that. Again, I, I have to be a little bit careful on what I'm giving you for what I know. Uh, there is some of that that is in trust still uh, and ESSIC still have not released the updated. Technically, they haven't mentioned anything about anything that's happened in the last five months, has been other than a few tweets. Uh, No formal release, though it has been promised. There were three people
0: on their documents who were level five. Uh, So I guess that's aggravated. Uh,
1: That sounds like the class of category that that would be classified as, yes.
0: Okay, so they slid into your DMs. You said, we need some evidence. Uh, it took them four months to send out these evidence letters.
1: Well, it, it, it's not four months for everyone. We got some of them within four weeks, but we'd get like two or three a week or six the next week or nothing for two weeks. And then five, it was... So trickled in. Very much trickled in, yes.
0: And then once the evidence was in, what happened then? Were people showing you the evidence? Sort of going, hey, what the hell, this doesn't make sense? Or I helped them
1: write uh, official replies. Uh, I helped them uh, formulate arguments. I helped them to prepare for interviews. Uh, I helped them to get their bodies of evidence together and then gave them advice on how to present that to ESIC. Again, more of an advocacy role. ESIC were interviewing some of them? Yes. Again, can't go into names or specifics, but there were meetings between the players and staff of ESIC. Yeah, right. So what were the end results of these appeals? Well, the, none of them were appeals. Technically, no one has gone through the appeal process, uh, as far as I am aware. There has been no appeal process that has been undertaken. These were what we were calling reassessments, which is, hey, Essex staff, uh, rather than go through an appeal process, I think we can just do a quick. We think there's been a screw-up here. Can we change this? Um, the Again, the broad sense of it was two or three people got, whoops, looks like we were wrong. Uh, About a third of them got discretionary sentences due to various reasons, mainly being ESEA rule mismatches with the ESIC code. Uh, And there was one or two who were able to argue that they should get discretionary for very specific circumstances which I can't get into, and then the rest had essentially variations on their sentence, some up, some down, from the initial announcement in January. I did see some people
0: on Twitter saying, hey, look, even though I was on the roster, I wasn't actually in the team at the time. Are they the people who had their sentences reversed? There is
1: a – and this is a little bit of the problem of the – the ESIC code was written for professional CS – the Australian ESCA open scene is not professional CS and that mismatch has caused the issues. So in professional CS, it is assumed that if you have left a team in any sort of recent issues, you still hold information for that team. And in the ESIC code, even though the term wasn't explicitly uh, specified there had been precedent that if you had been on that team in the calendar year, you were not allowed to bet on that team for the entire calendar year. Uh, And there were some previous things on that. There were some weird uh, precedents that went the other way too. It it was a strange thing. Again, ethic is very nascent. It's it's still learning to do things. Uh, So one of the things that we got uh, sort of clarified for Australian CS is defining that adjacency period, and the adjacency period is the period either side of roster membership where you are still considered to have unfair information for betting purposes, and therefore should not bet. It is, that adjacent period is now thirty days. So that's generally the period where the
0: uh, e- the uh, ESCA teams have sort of flipped their <laughs> their
1: tactics. <laughs> Look, you know that these uh, some of these teams don't even have uh, tactics. You know, it's, you know yeah. it's the, the happy clickers club, yeah. uh, and it it was probably a reasonable compromise from Essex. I was reasonably happy uh, that we got that sort of clarified down because it made more sense. And for most of the players, other than the ones, and there were a bunch of players who got pinged for twenty eight day bets, which sucks. But you have to draw the line somewhere. So they, they bet on it 28 days. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Which which is really feels bad, man. But yeah. uh, again, if you keep redrawing the line, then it becomes too nebulous to be of any benefit. Sure. And it was interesting. I, I remember getting DM'd by a player not involved in any of this, saying, look, I placed a bet on a team X days ago, and now they want me to join. And it's a great fluke. And I was advising them, this is the current, state of play for how Essek is doing it, so I recommend you do this. And he was like, it'd been like 45 days, and so he could join the team or whatever, but at least we had some, again, you know, where the line is drawn, you know what you can, you can work with, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned that people lost their jobs uh, in this four-month period. How did people lose their jobs if this wasn't really occurring in a professional CSGO context?
1: Uh, they had jobs that were not playing CS but were in esports. And so a open published sanction made it untenable for their esports employer to continue their employment. Have these people gotten their jobs back? Uh, no.
0: How many of these players do you think were actually acting in bad faith?
1: If I had evidence of actual match fixing, which is someone threw a game uh, to win a win money on betting. I've got no evidence of that, zero. Now, I, I can't read the players' minds, but from the evidence that I have seen from ESIC and from the evidence that I have above and beyond what ESIC has me, there is no evidence that of actual throwing of a match. Uh, what primarily seems to be the principal charge uh, that is coming through was that there was insider information trading. Uh, and before that sounds too dramatic and evil, uh, that was essentially they were deliberately sharing with each other knowledge they knew of t- of players on other teams. Something such as girlfriend is dumped him, he'll probably be tilted as shit or something. Or we know they're going to kick Fred. Uh, <laughs> this is the last game, and Fred's going to play badly. He's only playing for the game, but we know Joe's coming in for the next match, so Fred's going to be very unmotivated to play. And then they would play <laughs> bets with that insider information, which is, and I'll be very clear, a clear breach of the ASIC integrity code around betting offenses. Mm-hmm. Okay, They had information about a game that the average member of the public didn't have. There was ample evidence of that, for a number of players and it, it drew a line for me very much that for these kids, a lot of them were like, oh, we just we just play CSGO during the week, we're in ESCA open, it doesn't matter. A lot of them were just happy clickers and they were, and again, Australian culture, happy punters. They would do a lot of betting. And so when the betting agencies opened up esports markets, they were like, hell yes. Yeah, I'm down for this, and they are experienced, informed, very well uh, ex- able to win at esports betting in a otherwise immature and uninformed betting agencies market. And so they did that, uh, which is wrong, and it's not defendable uh, from that perspective. But there were, but that wasn't the majority of them. That was. For that clear evidence, that was a small number. For the for the rest, uh, a lot of them was just not being aware that you shouldn't bet on your own league. Or I quit the team and they would do a hate bet to see them lose. <laughs> you know, it's like, fuckers kicked me. Fuck it, I'm gonna bet for them to lose because there's no way they're winning that game. And they put 50 bucks on those bastards who kicked me in the game. But that's in clear violation of the thing because they technically have inside information so it but it's the nature of semi-pro or amateur cs at this tier three sort of level that there's there's not malice to subvert the system there was opportunistic advantage being taken a lot of them when you explain this to them they're like whatever i've lost enough money on betting it's about time I won some back. Like, that's an attitude that I can understand. I don't agree with, but they were of the opinion that if the betting agencies are getting into these markets and they're getting in in a way that we can take advantage of it, we'll take advantage. Which, unfortunately, with the way that ESIC works and in being essentially in a professional league, you may not be a professional player, but you are in a professional league. And that has... Uh, requirements and those requirements are that you essentially do not place bets
0: what sort of money was being bet on these games that were using insider information or recurring in bad faith
1: i technically do not have that information
0: right so we might just be talking about 50 bucks
1: across the board here anecdotally and again with no identification i would say that the vast majority of bets placed were in the tens of dollars wow a few in the in the hundreds of dollars. Yeah,
0: you know, I'm going to be honest. When I saw these uh, headlines, I kind of thought, "Oh well, I'm not really surprised." Wasn't there um, five or six in Victoria who were done for match fixing? You know, two or three years ago.
1: So that wasn't as long ago as you think it was. That was only five months before this started. That was what I'm calling the October crew. Is that all? So <laughs> it feels like two, or three years ago. Yeah. B- b- COVID has done that to my brain as well. So in January of 2020 <laughs> uh, was when the thirty were thing, but there were six that were announced in October of 2019. Wow. Okay. And so what ended up happening as a artifact of the drawn out nature is that those five or six got rolled into my 30 and they became the 42. Yeah, right. So were they
0: under a different rule set or? Nope. I, uh, one of them got discretion to zero. Okay, so my impression that the Australian CSGO scene is just full of dirty
1: ratbags is not correct at all. Well, they're definitely ratbags. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> like, these are these are guys who would have a lark and nick a shoe at land and have fun. Like, they are people here for fun. Australians love to have fun. But are they dirty, conniving cheaters here to rip off money? Not in the not in the way that your brain may portray it to you from the noise that's happening from the headlines. Is there? uh, Yeah, there dirty fixing cheaters in Australia. Quite likely. Uh, I am aware, not through anything related to this, but aware that there are more formal things going on, and those formal things are definitely attached to shit that's sort of going on. But that was part of what. I guess, seemed a bit off to me is when they pulled out these 30-something names in January of 2020, seemed like a very high amount. And the names involved, it just, it, my gut didn't like it, okay? Like, I have nothing more to go on than this doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. And in the end, it was mostly right, but not in the way that it was portrayed. And a little bit of that was headline grabbing and a little bit of that was just poor communication. There is a, There was a lot of betting going on. There was a lot of betting on going against Essex rules. Did any of these players know that Essex existed? I'm going to go with uh, 90-something percent had never heard the initials before. And suddenly their entire playing life had been curtailed rather dist- drastically, but that's Essex problem for not probably raising the awareness as much as they should have or doing education or requiring tournament organisers to raise awareness. Even after the October 6 had made that first headline, ESEA's rule set still said for like a month or two afterwards, you can still bet uh, just not on your own games. It's just one of those things, again, where if ESIC had all the money in the world and had a community manager and a a director of education and a director in charge of communications and an online syllabus and an education platform, and you could sign in and all the tournament organizers say, you have to do this 10 minute induction course before you can play in our league. And all the players sat through the dumb 12 slides and answered the four question quiz at the end and everyone knew and all the rest, fuck yes. But Essex doesn't have the resources to do one one hundredth of what I just described. But I, if, I don't if you and I,
0: because they have so many people, who, so many organizations who are signatories to their services, aren't they that, giving that them? doesn't,
1: money? it appears to be that way. I can't speak to Essex finances or business structure in any way. Done a little bit of digging, but it's all uh, conjecture on my part. But the, you and I, I don't know your particular background, but in my background, I play around with a lot of corporates. And if I so much as sneeze at going on a site, I have 14 inductions and three exams and two certifications to do. Like they just say, screw you. If you wanna go onto this power plant and you know change this one setting with your laptop, I need you to have this, 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 and this, and you need to sign off on this. And then after the event, you need to fill out these 14 forms. Like we have this in every other industry. Industry and every other professional conduct of certifications and inductions and risk management and risk assessments. And if you're in the construction industry at all, you live and breathe this every single damn day. But in eSports, it's like, yeah, live market betting agency, Cool. You you want to do this? You can go nuts. You want to bet? Yeah, that's good. Uh, We're not going to care about that. We're not going to do any education. We're not going to do any awareness. The TO is just going to pretend the betting markets don't exist. The betting agencies are going to complain when they get their lunch taken by players who know more than them. And no one is providing any sense of structure, regulation or risk control for the entire industry. Well, especially in Australia. Weren't the police involved with the October cases? It was initially said that there was a police investigation underway. As far as I am aware, uh, two, three people were arraigned in court. Uh, But as far as I am aware, no trial has gone ahead. So the government's not really doing anything either? I would suggest that... And again, with no specific detail and no confirmed assertions, things like good behaviour bonds and diversion programs have potentially been executed on. For the people who are involved, none of them had been, had any prior background in any of this. And the Australian judicial system is extremely lenient to contrite first
0: offenders. Oh, that's good to hear especially if it's just a bunch of larrikins having fun or salty about being kicked from a Uh,
1: team. (laughs) uh, 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 Without trying to offend anyone, I would say that that is the vast majority of players characterized, yes. (laughs) Right. Okay,
0: well, it sounds like it was a lot more nuanced than uh, I was aware, and so I'm I'm glad to have talked to you about
1: it. We had a very sudden introduction of regulation out of nowhere and we just didn't know how to adjust to it. I must say now I would hope it would be very well aware to all of the Australian and New Zealand CSGO players that betting on their own games or within their own league would be a very bad thing to do. And that still applies to an ESCA weekend
0: warrior betting on, say, an Australis versus Big.
1: Yeah. Oh, if you want to have even more fun, it's not even just limited to money either. You can get done for skin betting. Ah. Probably won't go too far okay. into that. <laughs> that Why goes not? into information I'm, uh, it goes into information I shouldn't know. Ah. it's in the rules? Uh, oh, the, the way the rules are written is just betting. It is not limited to cash betting. It is limited by almost nothing. A bet placed with negotiable value is infringible.
0: Are you suggesting that people have been betting things other than money and other than skins? If you can get it back to money at any point,
1: it's considered a bet for purpose.
0: Did someone bet a car in one of these? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh,
1: I, I have no specific evidence of a car, but I have evidence that no cash was involved uh, for a player that was sanctioned.
0: Oh, now my imagination is whirring. Uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> leave it at that. Well, thanks for chatting, Michael. Is there anything else you wanted to say?
1: One, Australia isn't full of dirty cheaters, okay? That is uh, not the perception I want you to take away. Uh, We are people who like to have fun. We as a country do like to bet far too much for my personal tastes, Uh, but there is not a, a concerted conspiracy to undermine the integrity of esports. There were some people making some mistakes And that has now been, for the most part, corrected.
0: Sounds like we're lucky to have you. The scene is lucky to have you. Thank you for chatting. That's right, pleasure to talk. If you enjoyed this episode, best thing to do is to find it on Reddit and upvote it. If you have a friend who's an ESCA but still betting on Australia's first big, send them this episode. If you're out there and you are the person who bets something other than money and other than skins, get in touch. I want to know. Happy for it to be anonymous. Enjoy the game and stop cheating.